this week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we finish Titus with Devoted to Good Works and then move into Ruth with Intro to Ruth, Naomi Prepares to Return to Bethlehem, Ruth's Loyalty, and Call Me No More, Naomi. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. It seems impossible to avoid. It's one of those situations that maybe just living in the throes of the sexual revolution thrust upon Christians, but sooner or later someone's going to ask you if you would like to attend the same-sex wedding ceremony. What does a Christian say in that situation? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Joining us to talk about Christians, gay friends, and same-sex weddings, Pastor Brian Barlow. He is a former homosexual, pastor of Resurrection Lutheran Church in Quartz Hill, California. He has invested more than 20 years in ministry to those who struggle with relational and sexual brokenness. Pastor Barlow, welcome back. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. How should a Christian handle a friendship with a lifelong unbelieving friend who recently claims that they are gay? Well, I believe that when we have relationships that have been divinely ordered by our Lord, as especially in a world that easily walks in kind of this philosophy that if you agree with me, we'll stay together and we'll be friends and we'll be supportive. If you don't agree with me, then we'll just disconnect because it's just really going to bring my life down and we're going in two different directions. We recognize as Christians, the gospel has a different message. And that is one that is restorative, it's reconciliatory, it's forgiving, it's reparative. And so when we get these kinds of social issues laid before us, there is quite a bit of presence that um, is required for us to draw into the relationship, not disconnect from the relationship. Now, if you have a person who has been struggling in their identity, and they're operating now out of um, ungodly beliefs, poor theology. They may have kind of inclined themselves to listening to some of the secular ideologies and some of those um, voices there, and maybe even have experienced some sexual sin in their lives. In that context, when they start to walk through reconciling their faith in Christ. They maybe have been brought up with a clear theology in Christ. Maybe they've been a pastor's son or daughter. And they've gone through a life of understanding and being instructed with the scriptures. Yet they find themselves conflicted. They have some other kinds of experience in life maybe a group of friends that are encouraging them that to truly be honest and authentic and happy and integrated, they need to follow those passions, those appetites. And then they have the world of those that have walked with them since 
childhood maybe or throughout their college years that they find edification with, encouragement, because they love the same Jesus. They want to be all that he wants them to be. But there is this kind of hidden thing in their lives that has kind of anchored them to some disfigured, maybe disordered life, and to expose that to their friends they feel is important, to be honest. But it leaves that other in a place of wondering, where should I proceed now? This is a person that we once believed were in agreement with our understanding of God's design for who we were in male and female and his plan for a future and a hope and how that's lived out. So when that thing is laid out, there is just that natural question, well, gee, do we get to stay friends? Because we disagree. And if we go by our normal cultural value system that appears to send the message that love and agreement are synonymous, so if you love me, then you'll agree with me, and if you don't agree with me, then you won't love me, then we have this conflict of whether we stay in relationship or not because it would be going against the current in this world. When we look at the gospel, love is something that transcends emotions. It transcends our cultural value system. It goes to the point of initiating life in those that could not help themselves. So it remains constant, it remains clear, and it requires one that understands that to be able to recognize that first and foremost, God's design is that, and his, his, his mission is that no one perish, but all come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And the one that saves is the crucified one. We, in mystery, are invited into this great commission to be able to abide with people and recognize that to tell them the truth about God's design is to, in essence, allow them an opportunity to set things back in order, be released from the bondages of sin, and at the end of the day, the battle belongs to the Lord. He is the one that saves. Are Christians able to avoid the question of whether or not to attend a same-sex marriage ceremony? Well, this is one that is really an emotive kind of question. I know that for many believers and non-believers alike, there is all kinds of threats and risks when these kinds of invitations come to us. When we look at the life of Christ, you know, it might be a gross exaggeration that he hung out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes, kind of giving the, the implication that that's kind of where he just found his sense of rest and entertainment. But what we see in the scriptures more clearly is that this is a relationship of intent. God, in his mercy, desires to set captives free. And so when we look at 
some of the sinful decisions that humanity will rebel in, try to counterfeit, like marriage. If I can't have it, then I'm going to create it. So God has designed marriage between a man and a woman. That's a sacred and very holy vocation and call to walk in that relationship, to lay our lives down. And in that crucible of marriage, I can personally attest, I have learned more about what it looks like to love in the face of one that sees us completely. And so knowing that is a vocation and a call instituted by a holy God that desires life for those that operate with other value systems and believe that they can actually recreate marriage in their own image. They can marry whomever they want. They can marry the same gender. It becomes really difficult for those that have opposing theological perspectives and values to know where to go with that. When it comes to a family member, a beloved son or daughter that lives in maybe an an immature, emotional place of blackmail. And that, I say, not only because I've experienced it, I have also witnessed it for many years, where individuals will say, well, if you're not going to come to my wedding, something that means so absolutely much to me, then I can't have you in my life at all. And it leaves no place for the parent or the siblings or the loved ones to be able to express to them their love that is intent on wanting a whole enough engendered life so that they would not have some of the difficulties and certainly, ultimately, the separation from what is good and holy that gives life and doesn't produce death. And so when that happens, the Christian has to truly know and operate from a real clear understanding of what they believe. And so to do that, it's not a really easy, quick kind of response because each family, each relationship enters into that conversation in a different manner. So for those that say, if you love me, you'll come to my wedding. If you don't come to my wedding, you don't love me. We have to understand that that is not a real healthy relationship to begin with because it operates from a level of blackmail and manipulation that comes out of a childish, maybe undeveloped person. Scripture makes it really clear. When I was a child, I thought as a child and I reasoned as a child. And when I grew up, I put away childish ways. And so for that person, it's going to be very difficult for them to understand. I myself, in life, when I was uh, living in sin and in that disordered kind of view of relationship, would get offended if those that I really wanted to be with me in the day-to-day, in some cases, were not able to because it would go against their conscience, go against the call in their life to participate in some things. And those things were very offensive to me. But as the Lord reintegrated my life, as he renewed my mind, 
as he sowed his living word into my life, I started to see the difference in those that would long suffer with someone as a believer and those that were there for maybe more the immediate gain of just having the relationship for the time and maybe not really truly in it for the long haul. Interestingly enough, those people that just wanted me to be happy and engaged and just embrace a homosexual life, when I was reconciled to Christ and I understood the gift of life that comes through dying to our old self and walking in the newness of life, trusting in this Jesus that transcends just circumstances. The ones that wanted me to feel good, they are nowhere to be found. But the ones that had the courage and the strength to truly press in and even ask me the hard questions, do I know where this is leading? Is it where I truly want to go? Those are the ones that remain in my life today. Those relationships continue to grow and they're strong. So when marriage is presented, it is a very emotive conversation to have. But on a case-by-case basis, you listen to the person, you understand the context of their life. And ultimately, at the end, love without truth isn't loving them at all. Attending a ceremony, personally, I believe, sends a message. And for those that feel like they would lose all if they did not attend, there is a misconception. And that that conception is that we have that kind of power. And while no parent wants to believe that their child would ever disown them, we understand that truly going back to who we fight against. We don't fight against flesh and blood. Scripture makes it really clear that we fight against principalities of this present darkness. This is a spiritual battle, and one that is won with things that are efficacious, that are effective. Sometimes we might think that our own way of doing things, our reason, our methodologies, are going to be efficacious, but we understand that in Scripture, that the Word of God that breathes life into dead things is where our true strength comes and our power, and that is well outside of a person's abilities. Apart from Christ, we can't do anything. Pastor Brian Barlow is our guest. We're talking about Christians, gay friends, and same-sex weddings. We'll get his response to what Truth For Life radio host Alistair Begg said about Christians attending gay weddings next. If you appreciate Issues Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. A bequest allows you to receive an estate tax charitable deduction and reduces the tax burden on your family. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, and the word of the Lord endures forever.
Hello, this is Roy Askins with The Lutheran Witness. You've heard me talk about all the great content we publish in the print magazine of The Lutheran Witness, but I wanted to share with you that we have even more online. Visit our website, witness.lcms.org, where you'll hear even more content on worship this month in particular from Cantor Phil Magnus. We also have a series on literature right now going on and a series on church art with much more planned in the future. You can get all that for free on witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Do you dream about having stained glass windows at your church, but know they are too expensive to ever get them? Ad Crucem has the solution. Our window clings are an excellent way to enhance the beauty of your church without breaking that glass ceiling. Visit adcrucem.com and reach out to us to work with you on this project. Ad Crucem, established in 2014 and still going strong. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. Contending for truth in an age of anti-truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. I like to think of the deaconess vocation as driven by two things, the love of Christ and the needs of our neighbor. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. James Busher, Director of Deaconess Studies at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, on the vocation of deaconess. First, the deaconess is moved by the love of Christ, who came not to be served, but to serve. Yet I think we can also see the profound needs around us, broken families, loneliness, despair. Deaconesses help the church to become a true family that manifests the love of Christ in our love for one another, and especially for those in need. For more information on the Deaconess Studies program at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, visit ctsfw.edu or call Concordia Theological Seminary at 1-800-481-2155. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about Christians, gay friends, and same-sex wedding ceremonies with Pastor Brian Barlow. Brian, Truth For Life radio host Alistair Begg recently said the following about Christians attending same-sex marriage ceremonies. Your love for them may catch them off guard, but your absence will simply reinforce the fact that they said, these people are what I always thought, judgmental, critical, unprepared to countenance anything. What's your response? Well, you know, it's really interesting, just given what I recently said about the way that a person operates out of a maturity level. That would certainly be a response from someone who I personally would believe is not mature. Some parents in relationship with their children will say, you know, they're very smart, they're very articulate. They believe that living this life offers them an opportunity to minister to those that wouldn't come to the church. But you know, Scripture makes it really careful. It warns us about being caught up in that kind of philosophy. It reminds us that we are not the ones that save. And for those that may have been baptized to life in Christ and they've grown up, they've been instructed and catechized to walk in a pure gospel, and making a decision and following philosophy of this world and even stepping out into embracing an identity that is outside of what Scripture would intend for male and female. The longer they're in that sin, and this is the case for, for any sin, the more disintegrated, the more disoriented, the more lost a person becomes. 
And I can even attest to it in my own life. I remember one time sitting with other believers in a Bible study, struggling with some of the experiences that I had stepped out into on the heels of that counselor's experience. There was this pull. My biology was responding. I thought, wow, this, you know, this feels good, but I know it's wrong. I know that if I continue to go down that road, it's going to be even more disintegrating. And that is truth. It was. It continually brought me to a place of unrest, a division in my own heart and mind, and some of the behaviors and even words and conversations that came out of that, the longer I stayed in that, became more and more regressive, more childish, not childlike. And so my reasoning was impacted by that. It was what I was feasting on. When you feast on God's Word, when you truly receive the truth of His Word, it challenges us, it calls us out, but it doesn't leave us there. It gives us hope, and it gives us promises that have been given from the One who is eternal, not the temporal things that are passing away. And so for those that would respond that way, I think we're giving a little bit too much credit to the person's presence or absence. Because there is a moment when the Lord will allow the absence of those that love us purely and sincerely in Christ to be a moment of sobriety, to recognize even in the ancient church when they left their communities and they started to gather around the disciples and they followed the way, that absence gave testimony. In the church today, our visible witness is the gathering of the priesthood of believers of all times. That's a visible testimony. And I don't believe that the church should really shy away from that. I don't believe that they should feel threatened by that. I think that that ability to be able to exercise humility and trust the outcome to the God who loves more, completes what he started, and is able to really complete his promises is where we put our faith and trust. If we put it in our own behaviors and our actions, it can be very disorienting. We can believe that we, in our presence there, will make up the difference. And I think that is a misuse of scripture, and it's misleading. For the person that does show, then they might say, wow, well, you know, man, I just went to my daughter's wedding. Where does that leave me? Did I sin against her? Again, we're not so powerful that we can destroy God's plan to complete what he started in every believer's life. And so we will make decisions. Some of them will be affirmed in our walk with the Lord as we abide in his word and we get wise counsel. Other times we'll find that there were things that we did that given the opportunity to do it again, we wouldn't do. There's grace and there's mercy for that. And we rest in the one who is able to use even what our misunderstandings, even what the enemy could confuse and disorient and wants to use for evil. 
can use that for good. So I think in both cases, we have to be very cautious of giving ourselves so much power over the one who truly does have the power, and that is Jesus. Is it loving for a Christian to leave the impression, passively leave the impression, that he or she approves of same-sex relationships? Well, there's certainly cause to be concerned about any affirmation and approval of one's life. Because it leaves the person, in a sense, believing that, well, you know, it's not really that bad. Sin that destroys a covenant that takes us away from the giver of life, there is no sugarcoating it. That is hell. The degrees of which we carry that out and practice it in our lives, there are indications that those can be at various different levels. You know, sexual sin, Scripture makes it very clear that all other sin happens outside the body, but sexual sin happens in the body. Flee sexual temptation. There is an absolutely significant impact that sexual sin has within the person, body, mind, and, and, and spirit that impacts in a very violent or holy way. In the holiest of sense, sex is to be celebrated. It's a gift from God in marriage. And I can tell you now, as a father and a husband, that that is a tremendous gift that so many years was perverted in my own naive understanding, my childish perspective of things. When I had disordered feelings, it was perceived as dirty and vile and perverted. And while any gift that God gives, the enemy's goal is to pervert it and to twist it, and that is true, for those that come into that kind of understanding, there's this necessary reconciliation to what is good in that. And so to affirm a person in the opposite, in the disordered sense of sexuality, is minimizing and in some place just annihilating the gift of sexuality, the gift of the other. And so we see these traumatic kinds of moments in a person's life when they, in their maleness, recognize on some level that sin has impacted the way they view themselves and others and how they're perceived by others. For the man, he was created for the other as a gift to initiate. There's unique differences and things to be celebrated about the masculine. For the woman, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. She was created as a gift. And with all the unique differences, but in the differences, we find the same in our humanity. And we were made when God said it was good. That Hebrew word tov is to meet. And we say that even in our liturgy, that is good, right, and salutary, or it's to meet, right, and salutary. And this whole idea is that God had created male and female to be connected face-to-face, eye-to-eye, body-to-body, and they meet in the fullness of the oneness to recreate. And in our world today, when we affirm something lesser than that, we then give this impression and this message that good doesn't look like that. 
from God's perspective, good is whole. It's shalom. It's completeness. In the fall, that was shattered. It was corrupted. We turned away from one another in our male and femaleness, in sexual brokenness and confusion and identity. We can commit sexual suicide. We can look at the gift of ourselves and say, I don't not only like it, I don't want it. We can turn away from the one that God created to give life, to experience life together with, and say, well, no, I'm just going to go to something a little bit less mysterious. We'll say that. Well, we'll just hang around people like ourselves. And functionally, that will never produce the gift and the wonderful life that God intended for man in the fullness of our humanity. Pastor Brian Barlow is our guest, a former homosexual, talking about Christians, gay friends, and same-sex weddings. When we come back, what do you do when you get the invitation? Unforgiveness is a prison, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January will help you break out of the unforgiveness in your own life. It's titled, Unforgivable? How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. Or learn more about Unforgivable at issuesetc.org. Unforgivable, How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives, The Issues Etc. Book of the Month. Where doctrine is life. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Our church loves and is grateful for those that serve our country. Operation Barnabas, part of Ministry to the Armed Forces, equips you to reach out to veterans in your community to bring Christ to those that served. Call Ministry to the Armed Forces at 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Thank you for your service. Thank you. God bless our military. He will continue to use his word to bring you back to forgiveness for yourself and for others. It's a process, a journey, and not always easy, but what a can't-wait-for-it goal. From sorrow, toil, and pain, and sin we shall be free, and perfect love and friendship reign through all eternity. From the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January, Unforgivable, How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives, You'll find this book at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040. We're talking about Christians, gay friends, and same-sex weddings. Pastor Brian Barlow is our guest. He is a former homosexual, pastor of Resurrection Lutheran Church in Quartz Hill, California. He has invested more than 20 years in ministry to those who struggle with relational and sexual brokenness. So, Brian how should a Christian respond to a real invitation to a same-sex wedding? Well, first with prayer and guidance of the Holy Spirit, we have to submit to the one who guides and leads every relationship. And I think to give just a canned answer, this is what you can't do, I think is taking a little bit more authority. But let's just say in the context 
of loving that person unto life. If the person who is called into relationship to minister the gospel of truth walks in a manner that affirms something that disintegrates their life and takes life away from them, I believe the Lord would have us held to a level of accountability. I think of the Nicolaitans, and I think of the warning in Revelation against the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, a church body that was saying they're loving and they're allowing sexual perversion to be rampant in a family orienting and toting that as if this is good. It's not meat. It's not right. It's not salutary. And we have to be very mindful of that. So in that regard, as we're walking through truth and love, that is lived out and manifested, not just in words, but in actions. And we trust the one that when we are rejected from the world, when we are cursed, when we are hated because of him, to set those things back in order. And that's not an easy thing to say to a parent who's considering or fearful of losing relationship with a son or daughter because that grieves our Lord and giver of life who intends the family to be whole enough to honor the good of one another. And yet we know that we live in a corrupt world and sin has forever changed that. But the one that is able to interrupt that and put things back in order is the one who overcame the grave. And I can say over these 20 years that there are many, many relationships that have been restored that started out with these kinds of threats and these kinds of offenses that have been held onto for many, many years. Life has a way, and the Lord, through our own dying and decaying, of sobering us up to be able to recognize what is lasting and what is temporary. And many, many relationships have been restored. Many offenses have been forgiven because the one who offers forgiveness to us became alive in their baptism, in their regeneration, in their reconciliation in their person. And that can happen in this world, it can also happen even if our loved ones have gone, because God is in the business of completion. And so some may say, well, the person that hurt me or stood against what I believe is true for my life is gone. How do I reconcile that? How do I ask forgiveness to the one that God's already called home? Well, we go through the one who has given us forgiveness and receive that forgiveness. We confess one to another our sins and pray for one another. And the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails. We are able to live in community with one another, even when we come face to face with the sins that we've created through our own rebellion. The sins not only done against us, but the sins that we have in our own sinful nature committed against others. And I think that those are holy things that the church should really truly embrace and recognize that just because someone is grieving, just because they're hurt, doesn't mean that that's not a holy moment that the Lord enters into and can use and redeem for the days to come. 
I think that many of the people that have walked out of this life through the grace and strength and salvation of our Lord and Savior Jesus would attest that they confess their sins daily. They walk in that repentance daily. They understand the holiness of grieving the corruption of sin in their lives, and they surrender it. And in that, there's freedom and joy and life to come. We recently had a listener assert that Scripture does not condemn homosexuality, that the Church really has never condemned it in history, and that the Apostle Paul has been misinterpreted in modern times to sound like he's condemning it. How do you respond to that with about a minute? I've heard those kinds of arguments before. They're devoid of Christ. Because when Christ has reconciled us and he has given us his mind and his heart and he comes to tabernacle, he understands that anything that operates apart from him is not going to stand. And so purity is one of those things. You know, uh, one can argue that, well, Scripture doesn't say anything about that. They would have a very difficult time theologically and scripturally supporting that. But those little sound bites have taken root in so many today that do not know their scriptures. Jesus has said to many, go and sin no more. He, yes, he ate with tax collectors, he ate with the prostitutes, but he never left them where he found them. And he understood that there is a design for humanity that reflects him and his attributes. And to say that Scripture doesn't say anything about homosexuality would eradicate other Scriptures that talked about sexual purity and the holiness of the gift of procreation. And so when you look at those kinds of things, you recognize that the one speaking is the one who is ill-instructed, they haven't read Scripture, they don't understand it in its capacity. What's fascinating to me is that in our day and age, many churches that have supported a very pure doctrine in recent years at a neck-breaking pace are embracing the concept of gay Christianity, a different gospel, saying that somehow you can remain in your sin practicing and be regenerated, and it could not be further than the truth. Sin decays and destroys. The blood of Christ renews and rejuvenates. And so we have to be very clear in understanding where that started. And that's easily disclosed by questioning them. So where do you find that God would say that you can do whatever your appetites feel like without consequence? And there's many other platforms that you can enter in that conversation with. Pastor Brian Barlow is a former homosexual. He's pastor of Resurrection Lutheran Church in Quartz Hill, California, and he's invested more than 20 years in ministry to those who struggle with relational and sexual brokenness. Pastor Barlow, thank you very much for your time. Yes, thank you again for having me back. I enjoyed our time together. God bless you. Tuesday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss the great de-churching with Michael Graham. We'll have Pastor Tom Baker lead us in a Sunday school lesson on the rebuilding of the temple in Ezra and Nehemiah. And we'll respond to your email, talkback at issuesetc.org, and the Issues Etc. comment line 618-223-8382. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening.
Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.